Good afternoon, universe, and welcome to Cross Defense, your weekly dose of knowing why you believe what you believe, so that you will be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the hope that you have in the totality of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus is coming again to do. I'm your host, Reverend Jonathan Fisk, and together we are on a journey through the landmark Christian dogmatics of Dr. Francis Pieper, a monumental series of books devoted to the belief that when God speaks, he does so in order that we might speak his word back to him. That sound doctrine isn't just a set of right answers to be kept on a shelf, but the effect that happens when scripture alone, grace alone, and faith alone, pointing us ever to Christ alone, meets real life as the answers, the salve we so desperately need in this age of darkness, this veil of tears. St. Paul exhorts all Christians to hunger for the truth, to watch your life and doctrine closely, to preserve in them, because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. For the time is coming, he warns, when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead will turn aside to suit their own desires, gathering around them a great number of teachers to teach what their itching ears want to hear. You, however, Christian, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, and so encourage others. I have with me today two good friends, two brothers-in-arms, Pastor Sean Denzer of Trinity Great Bend and uh, Peace Barney, two congregations up in the North Dakota area, and near enough to him as well, uh, Pastor Aaron Hamilton of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lisbon, North Dakota, guys who I had the privilege of serving with, uh, not quite in the same circuit, but almost, uh, getting to see them in in that great district up there that is so, uh, well, steadfast in many ways. Uh, Welcome, gentlemen. Thank, thank you. you. So before we get, <laughs> thank you. Ah, the uh, that was awesome. It's like ditto, right, Jinx? Um, but before we get going here, uh, tell us a little bit though. You know about where you are. Uh, not a lot of people have had the chance to see North Dakota. When I first was uh, contemplating the call up there, people were saying, "Well, you can't go there. It's the end of the world, right?" Uh, so so talk about North Dakota for a minute and your your congregations up there and, and the ministry up there. Sean, you want to go first? Sure. I've been here for about four years out of seminary, uh, my first call into the parish. Uh, I didn't know much about North Dakota when I first got here. I came from Michigan originally, a uh, big Lutheran territory there too, actually. Uh, a lot of people know the beautiful western part of North Dakota with the uh, Teddy Roosevelt National Park. We're in the Rev- Red River Valley, which is as flat as can be. Uh, but it's really great farmland. Uh, people had a pretty record crop of beans and corn this year. They had so many beets they had to leave, I think, 15% in the fields. Right, I heard and, about that. Um, I'm, not, I'm not from farming uh, family, uh, so it's all new to me, but I'm trying to learn as best I can. And uh, I'm up here with my wife and two beautiful daughters, my wife Audrey, my daughters Lucia and Monica. Pastor Hamilton. Yeah, so... Uh, I have a little disagreement with Pastor Denzer. Um, You're right, we are in the Red River Valley, and it is pretty flat, but uh, Lisbon is the big city in the region, um, outside of Fargo, of course. We have all of 2,500 people, and we also live in this eastern part of North Dakota where there actually is geography. Uh, Lisbon is situated down in the Cheyenne River Valley, um, and we have to go out of uh, town, we have to go up some hills. So I know that everybody else in our circuit is super jealous of us. Um, still largely agricultural. Uh, we do down in Gwinter have the Bobcat factory, so that's a big employer for us. 
Um, I have been serving here in Lisbon for about a year and a half. Um, I come from Iowa, nice farming community. I moved here with my wife and two children, Teresa, our oldest, John, our middle child, and last week or a week and a half ago now already, uh, our third child, Malachi, was born. So we're getting used to that transition too. Congratulations by all means on, on the addition of a child baptized yet? This Sunday, Getting he'll there. be baptized. Yeah, excellent. And Malachi, what's what's the middle name? James. Malachi James. So you went, you went crazy normal in your ordering. Yeah? <laughs> That's absolutely right, yeah. So, uh, well, that that is not why our listeners are tuning in, although, of course, they always do like to hear about who we are, where we come from. But the reason you're turning into cross-defense, as I said in the opening, is because we're looking to sharpen our minds. We're looking to have iron sharpen iron by means of conversation about the Word of God. And we're letting Dr. Pieper set the tone for us with some of his assertions. And these assertions, I think we believe generally, as, as Lutherans, we find these things to be true. But sometimes it's like, how does this fit? Or where does this play? Or, or how does this apply to the present context that we're in? We've been on the topic of Holy Spirit. Scripture and Dr. Pieper has started us there as the foundation, the, the norm for everything else you can talk about. If you're going to ask, what is Christianity? You got to ask, what do the scriptures say? And yet, as, as he's made the case early on, not every Christian is asking that. And we've gotten to the point now where he's really trying to engage what a distraction, what a danger that is. So our, our first comment from him today to kind of to riff on is where he says, all who imagine that they have found the truth elsewhere than scripture are deluding themselves. And what strikes me there is is that word deluding is, a, again, a fighting word. Pieper is not very kind, or, or by modern sensibilities, he doesn't use soft gloves when he's talking about this issue. To be led away from the truth, and at the very same time to be thinking that you're going deeper into it, right? Uh, I mean, so what is the thing that uh, people posit instead of the scriptures well it's usually themselves it's always themselves in fact even if they think they've come on to some other great idea from somebody else it will always turn out that it's your wisdom that has discovered it of course and uh, what people are trying to get at is the heart of the the horrible nature of human folly is that we think we're really accomplishing and discovering or breaking new ground that is wonderful and true and in that very moment, we're being led into absolute destruction, into total falsehood. So what a tragedy. It's like we're screaming victory at, at, right as we impale ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. What a horrible picture. But, I mean, that's why I think he's got the gloves off and he's he's saying, wake up, be warned, right? Uh, it's like the ship's about to hit the rocks and uh, nobody's noticed. But in the, in the soft narrative, if I can say that, of, of our postmodern culture, to be able to call somebody else delusional is like the height of arrogance. Yeah, I do hear more and more people saying that, but uh, usually it's the ones who think they've, who are trying to call us back to something true. I, often those who are trying to call us as people would back to the scriptures. Those are the people who are deluded. Deluded because they're not following the truth that is deep inside themselves, but the truth that they think they heard from someone else, which must be backward, which must be silly, which must be totally misguided. Pieper says, actually, they've got it just wrong. Especially look to what uh, Jesus said in John 14, uh, where he claims that he is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And 
where do we hear about Jesus except through the words of Holy Scripture? I can't find Jesus deep within the recesses of my heart. If we actually look what's in the recesses of our heart, it's sin and death and damnation. So he says, if we would teach and know the truth and not error, we must continue in the word of Christ. And he's again uh, assuming that means the Bible, right? That the written scriptures from the apostles and the prophets. And we have this word of Christ and the word of his apostles, he says. To the end of time, we shall have no other way. But uh, does this put an end then to uh, continuing revelation? Yeah, the idea that the spirit will lead us into all truth, something brand new. It's funny because uh, that that quote from the scriptures from Jesus himself comes from this very section, right? And uh, the Lord is, yes, saying the Spirit is going to be at work. He's the one who's leading. It's not the great inventions or words of the apostles that matter, except that the Spirit himself is the one guiding them. Now, that promise has been given to the apostles. It hasn't been given to each and every one of us. And the apostles themselves didn't come upon this uh, by their own hearts burning or by coming up with their own thing. I mean, didn't our hearts burn when he opened up the scriptures to us, right? Talking right. about Jesus. Uh, it's always from this external word, which comes from, I mean, in the apostles' case, what is the particular thing that qualifies them to be the apostles? What sends them out? What qualifies them to write anything of the scriptures or the gospels? Well, it's that they were hearers of the Lord's words from his very mouth and eyewitnesses to the events of his life, death, and resurrection. This is one of those places that really distinguishes what what we, I guess, would call Lutheranism from the Protestant world, as opposed to you know the the Catholic, the Roman Catholic world. We're we're really closer to Rome in this, in that we read in the Scriptures that not everything that's promised is promised to to me personally, right? And what you just said there, I think, for some people would seem very radical, that, that when Jesus says the word you and you read it there in your Bible, it's actually talking about, say, the apostles who he's talking to and, and not to ourselves. Yeah, it's, it's completely foreign that, uh, especially in the way that we read Scripture as modern Americans, right, that we always want to look at Scripture and we take this verse completely out of context and don't read anything else that the Holy Spirit inspired that author of Scripture to write. And we say, this one verse has the word you in it, so it must mean me. Or we always try to read ourselves into the characters of Scripture, right? If we read about David uh, defeating Goliath, well, how can you be David? Um, but that's that's not how Scripture was written. That's not exactly the best way to read it. Well, in so many ways, it does does violence to what the good news is that Scripture is trying to give. So you take a verse like, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You pull it out of its context and you, you tell yourself you can be an astronaut or you can be an NBA basketball player. You know, whatever your dreams are, when what Paul's really trying to do is encourage you to survive, uh, that all suffering which comes to you cannot take your faith away. And no matter if they take your life, your home, your wife, your, your kids, all this stuff that would be gone, the battle's won in Jesus. But you lose that when you rip it out of its its context there. And in context, is sort of a double-edged sword. It can be used to destroy the scriptures, but it can also really point us to what they really say. It's helpful to, I mean, we don't want to go crazy with this. We don't want to say that, you know, the church is the, the history of, you know, everything since Jesus is the history of all these spirit-inspired people, even after the apostles. I think that's the way Rome tends to go, that the it has to do with these spiritual-inspired men, and, and there's a succession of people down to our day uh, we're talking particularly about these apostles, but this is how Jesus, I mean, these these passages here in John 
chapters 15, 16, 17, where he talks so much about the Holy Spirit, probably our best teaching in the Bible on specifically who the Holy Spirit is. Here's where he's connecting them with the apostles' task of preaching the gospel in the early church and preparing these scriptures for us, which goes down right down to our day. It gives us the things that are for us, but not apart from them, and right. not apart from Christ. And and they are for us, again, because, as you say, for uh, not a, they're not apart from Christ. They are the place for us to take refuge, which is where Peter goes next in, in warning against trying to find refuge somewhere else. He says, It will never do for the Christian to retreat from the word of the apostles and prophets and seek refuge in, say, experience or reason. If the knowledge of God is going to be true, it is absolutely necessary for the Christian to disqualify his own assumptions. That's over and against the experience. The Christian must disregard all thoughts and opinions of his own, which come to him as unwelcome guests. He will permit only such thoughts, words, and doctrines to make their abode in his heart as are found in Christ's word. As I'm putting together you know, this, this list of quotes, I'm usually trying to keep them short, but that one was just so full of what I think is, again, a very challenging thought to the ego of the human being in the first place, and then doubly so the modern person, that my experience and my reason and my assumptions and my thoughts and my opinions all must be disregarded when I go to the Bible, that I don't go to the Bible to find affirmation in those things. I go to the Bible to be corrected, to be rebuked even, and this is just... It's so contrary to who we are as Americans uh, and as human beings. This theme that you've had, I've heard you speak to me about this before, heard you speak to your own members at Oaks about this. Now I've heard you the other day on this very program speak about these same things coming out of Peeper. The idea that we come to the scriptures and we should have an expectation, which is such a basic idea, but it seems lost in our time. You're right, that we're going to be corrected, that that we're going to find things that are maybe incorrect that we had thought before. Uh, the scripture isn't going to be here uh, for us to cherry pick the things that we love and already agree with. And, and thank goodness we wouldn't read this book if it didn't already agree with us before we picked it up. I'm reminded of what Jesus said, though, which I think uh, Peeper is probably pulling on here. If anyone, you know, uh, would follow me, would be my disciple, let him deny himself. That's the first part. Yeah, that's really good. Um, scripture also tells us that uh, the Holy Word is like a sharpened two-edged sword uh, that divides even body and soul, that when we do go into Scripture, um, we do have to deny ourselves and uh, allow God's Word to rebuke, correct, uh, even kill us. The old Adam must die, and that happens through the Word of Christ. I feel like when I kind of grew up in Lutheran Christianity, I don't know that I was always paying as much attention as I should have been, but but kind of in the water of, of Lutheran Christianity, that, that, that verse, though, that deny yourself and follow me, always was sort of on the emphasis of somehow creating my a, a better me, right? That, that somehow it's really about, you know, saying no to the wrong kind of music and, uh, you know, going to church youth group stuff a lot. It, it really wasn't ever about knowing that I'm a human being who tends toward evil and dying, right? It just, it was, it was, it was always on, it was on the glory road. It was on about victory, right? And what you're saying, uh, guys, is that, that it's not that at all, that there's a certain, can I use a medieval term, mortification going on as I go to scripture, uh, a, a killing of me? Yeah, mortification just means that we know what it means to be mortal, to die, uh, to, but to kill ourselves even, uh, 
you're, you're right. We always want to jump in and qualify Jesus' statements. We want to say, well, when he said deny yourself, he, he didn't obviously mean you personally. I mean, who you are and what makes you tick and stuff. Kind of. I mean, actually, he did. That's that's the hard point. And uh, especially for the task of a theologian, which I think people would agree that uh, a theologian doesn't really mean him or you or me or Pastor Hamilton. Uh, he actually means all of our listeners to every single Christian. Anybody who's concerned right. with the words of God and the words from God is a theologian. And and. If you're going to be a theologian, you've got to always be concerned that the words about God are actually the words that come from God, because it's much easier to come up with our own ideas about them and just to, you know, toss things out. And I think we hear this all the time. If you ever catch yourself just saying, you know, well, my God wouldn't, right. watch out. Right. Where'd that right. idea come from that you're about to say? Right. We always want to uh, try to build ourselves up. I, I can't remember who it was. Uh, it was probably C.S. Lewis. He's known for having a lot of those great quotes that uh, first God created man and then um, then man returned the favor. So the, the Bible, having this written down so that, I mean, this is what's contrary to everything that we want. Having the Bible written down, it's not changing. Uh, it doesn't change with the times to suit our fancies. It's not blown about by every wind and wave of doctrine. Instead, it's there as the anchor that when every wind and wave of doctrine does blow us around, we can stay uh, completely anchored to that sure and certain rock um, and tear apart the old Adam in us uh, so that the new man would, as the catechism teaches, the new man would daily arise and live in righteousness and purity forever. When we're taught to teach catechism to the, to the kiddies, we're told about the, the law having these three uses, right? The curb, the mirror, and the guide. And so the, that term curb, and even the term guide, kind of gets law-heavy as, as, a, as a term, but it really is bigger than that when you're talking about Scripture. This is like the blessed curb, right? That, that I can only go so far before God calls me back, that his word sets a boundary line that isn't there to, to just kill me. It's there to raise me through that uh, marvelous transaction of the cross, which is, which is both my death and resurrection in Christ. And so seeing scripture as that that blessed boundary line is really it's not something that binds you in it doesn't subject you so much as it sets you free right and so jesus says if you continue in my word you will know the truth and the truth will set you free but we live in an age where people believe the truth is chains and that's the that's the struggle for the christian this is a wonderful part i mean you're quoting from john 8 and that's what peeper's about to get to too and Johnny is so helpful in seeing that our discussion today and what Peeper's talking about is not some, you know, academic thing up there for really smart people to talk about and not for the average Christian. We'd like to think, you know, maybe this is just about, well, if you're going to be a theologian and you're going to study the Bible and know a lot of things, you got to have this right method of, of study. Here, so quickly, when you're dealing with the scriptures, it, it's, it's not a matter of just, you know, let's make sure we don't get the wrong answer. But immediately we're going to find that we're bumping up against the bondage that is not just a bondage of an academic discipline. It's the bondage of sin itself, right? What's the context of Jesus' quote? It's not just continue in my word so you know the true things so you won't be like misled for trivia. It's, it's the bondage is sin, you know? Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And, and the way that uh, – maybe you're going to read this in a second for us, Pastor Fisk, but – the way Peeper's talking about this 
bondage that's all wrong. Actually, there's liberty in the scriptures. Um, it parallels our quest for false freedom that is the bondage of sin and the bondage of our wills to sin. Well, let's talk about let's talk about that word sin, though. It's going to come up later in Peter. He's going to get real specific and teach us what sin is. But I think it's important to take a moment and, and say, you know, if sin is bondage, what does that mean? What is this this S I N word? You know, we throw it around. How would you define it? I think it's I think it's very much related to the quest to look inside of ourselves for the answer, and the idea that at the same time, in order to do that, the one thing we have to get free of ends up being God. Right, uh, our our desires to get away from the scriptures, whether we find the answers in us or in some other crazy idea that we think is still really good and better than Him, is always that is actually the bondage itself. Uh, Luther talks about how a will is always willing. There's no, it's not like a neutral stick, like you you're in neutral and you got to either put it in forward or reverse. You can't stop wanting what you want. That's that's what wants are, and uh, and here's the difficulty in. Trying to, in your in coming to your own opinion, if your own opinion is false, what do you do? Because it's really what you think. It's what you believe. It's it's what you're convinced of, and what you convinced yourself. And how do you escape that? It becomes a real slavery. Where how do you get out of it? Unless something quite violent happens and you get broken in. And yeah, Peter's going to play with this a little, and I think Jesus is too, subjected to the Word of God, which actually frees you entirely. Hamilton? Yeah, uh, sin is that orientation that is completely to always choose our own way, uh, no matter what. Uh, St. Paul talks about it a lot in Romans. I've been having a really fun time with a Bible study down in Oaks um, that I had the joy of inheriting. Um, But uh, it's it's absolutely wonderful to to see, uh, especially St. Paul's uh, wrestling with sin and the ravages of sin in Romans chapter 7, where even when we try and want to do these great things, sin is still there pulling us away from God. So it's a corruption. It's a internal need for self. It's a dominant will that is me and yet enslaves me because it's also kind of unbeknownst to me, at least naturally, enslaved to this old evil foe, which is a a spiritual demon who is reigning over the planet. Uh, It is the curved inwardness of myself, and that is what is pushing me away from the freedom of truth that that Jesus promises to give, right? So that I would think that by having a truth that cannot change, I'm somehow bound. I only think that because I'm already bound to myself and my need to believe that I am God. And so uh, Peeper then says this, to be held in bondage by one's false opinions is the most disgraceful form of human slavery. And he's writing just after the Civil War in some ways, right? I mean, he's he's seen what a, a world of slavery is, kind of close, closer than we have, really. And yet he says there's something even worse than that. And he's not exa- he's not saying slavery is good, but that the the worst form, the lowest form of this, is to be held by your own opinion and unable to change it. And again, I just I look at our world today, and I, I watch TV, I look at the internet, I listen to radio, and what I hear is a world that's screaming the opposite of this: that that, that the greatest freedom is your opinion. You know, we'll, we'll bend it with this commercial as much as we can, but woe woe be to anyone who would say that ours is right and theirs is wrong. 
Well, and your commercials have to be convincing everybody else, I guess, that their opinion is this, which is, which leads you to the kind of deceitful activity that we usually associate with delusions, right? Uh, uh, this, this this phrase that you you quoted from Dr. Pieper, I think, is so. It's close to the heart of what we mean when we also talk about original sin, which is let's get to the heart of of this sin word and and turned in on all those phrases that you used, Pastor Fisk, are perfect. Um, but what do you do when it's your opinion? I mean, <laughs> this is what I really think. This is what I'm really convinced of. Uh, you're bound in some. You're bound to something that you're not fighting against. You know, yeah. it's not like human slavery where where there need you need to be chains there because they're trying to escape and they would and and any right person would try to escape that to be to be in bondage to your own opinion means you'll love it right you hunger for it let's pick that up on the other side of a break uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes you're listening to cross defense on worldwide kfuo i'm pastor jonathan fisk with pastor sean denzer and pastor aaron hamilton brothers in arms out of north dakota we'll see you in a few Providing solid confessional Lutheran resources for pastors around the world. That's Luther Academy. Logia, the Journal of Lutheran Theology, the 13-volume Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and global conferences for strengthening pastors. That's Luther Academy. Sign up for our email news and support our efforts at lutheracademy.com or call us at 260-452-2211. This week on Issues Etc., we'll begin a series, Are Social Progressives Anti-Science? Talking with Scott Klusendorf about abortion and Wesley Smith about euthanasia. We'll conclude our series, a liturgical boot camp for evangelicals, with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. And we'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on Jesus clearing the temple from John chapter 2. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. 338! Protect yourself and those around you by getting your flu vaccine. It is your best defense against the flu. Annual vaccination against flu is recommended for all people six months of age and older, unless they have a condition or medical reason not to get the vaccine. Stay in the game, get vaccinated, and help us tackle the flu. To find a flu vaccine clinic near you, go to mo.gov and click on the flu vaccine locator. This message is brought to you by the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. In the rush and mix of life, it is not always easy to catch your breath, sit for a moment, and remember the goodness of the Lord. With all the demands on your time, how do you fit in His time? That's why we broadcast His time weekday mornings on KFUO. Beginning at 7.15 a.m., we bring His time to you with prayer, devotion, and comfort to help you be still and know that He is God even while stuck in traffic. Underwritten by the Lutheran Federal Credit Union. In one of the bleakest hours of the war, on January 20th, 1940, Winston Churchill addressed the nation in a radio broadcast, painting a picture of hope using words from John 14. The day will come when victorious nations will plan and build in justice, in tradition, and in freedom a house of many mansions where there will be room for all. Churchill's speeches often use biblical language and style. In an interview for the book God in Churchill, co-authored by his great-grandson Jonathan Sandys, said, Churchill had read the Bible throughout many times, 
And in Churchill's own words, written in 1941, he said, the more closely we follow the Sermon on the Mount, the more likely we are to succeed in our endeavors. The Bible, providing words of courage in the midst of war. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Reliable and trustworthy. KFUO, your pioneer of Christian radio, AM 850 and KFUO.org. The message is clear. Welcome back to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, here with Pastor Sean Denzer and Pastor Aaron Hamilton, both, again, brothers in arms out of North Dakota. We're talking about Dr. Peeper as he continues to emphasize for us how necessary the Bible is to the Christian life and how the great threat of not having a belief that the Bible is true is a bondage I would have to myself. Uh, the, to my own opinions, not not because I'm against them, but because I'm for them and they just happen to be running in the absolute wrong direction. And that this, he says, again, is a, a disgraceful form of human slavery, but that the purpose for which Christ gave his own word through his apostles and prophets is to deliver us from the bondage of our own false notions, particularly, he goes on to say, in matters pertaining to salvation. So John Calvin, my favorite theologian of oh, all time, oh, oh. of course— I hope not. <laughs> John Calvin said that the the human heart is an idle factory, not idle as in I D L E. You know, you're not right. doing anything, but idle as in the false gods I D O L. Uh, that our heart is constantly making false gods, and I I love Calvin here especially that he pulls out that false gods are not you know that golden calf that Aaron uh, helped the Israelites make or any graven image, uh, as Calvin counts the second commandment, um, rather those false gods can come from within ourselves and that's our false opinions, right? Um, and we are enslaved to this. It was part that we were talking about before the break, but here scripture is Christ, uh, delivered to us in modern days to free us from these, the bondage to these false gods. That's one of those ideas that I think Luther picks up on it too as well in his writings. So maybe maybe Calvin borrowed it from him. I don't know. But um, that I think maybe as pastors sometimes we think, oh, everyone's heard this. Everyone knows this. But, but maybe not. Uh, the idea that an idol, a false god, uh, does not have to be a statue. Right? It doesn't have to be something that you call Moloch and offer sacrifices to. It can really be anything in which your heart fears or loves or trusts in the place of God. Right. The false God of, uh, maybe the false God of today is my, my feelings, those warm and fuzzies. And as long as I'm, I'm feeling great, then I must be pleasing God or pleasing myself. Yeah, the the bank account obviously is one that comes to mind. Uh, the the presidency of the United States and or say the the government, the economy, uh, all of that tends to be things that we get pretty worked up in in terms of trusting them, uh, fearing them, and that that gets to another interesting point. Is as soon as we've set up one of these idols, one of these things to find our confidence in, 
our fear then suddenly has to be to, to keep it up. It's, it's like the statue Dagon when it was in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant kept falling over. Our idols keep falling down in the decay of this age, and we're, we're scrambling about trying to keep them up. And that's where so much of the, the flurry of our opinions are, our, our, our aggressive opinions, is trying to maintain our false opinions in the face of truth, which is even obvious to us. God, of course, can use that for good. I think he does. He's breaking idols around us all the time. And in a sense, he doesn't want us to, to worship false gods because they fail and because they're not like he is, steadfast, immovable, always always helping us. Um, but uh, they are going to break. I, I've only, I'm a relatively new pastor, but I have been a pastor now of a congregation for two presidential elections. Uh, it was interesting because the opposite party won this time from last time. But the reactions are the same. Uh, absolute jubilation and absolute despair. And there's, I think, where Luther's definition of idolatry, which fits perfectly with Calvin's there, um, that it's fear, love, and trust in the true God, or just as easily fear, love, and trust in any number of false gods. And fear's the one I think I think maybe that is maybe that's the most raw emotion of all of them. But we see that we're afraid of this or that president. We're afraid of this or that man. And God is the one we should fear. He's the only one who could right. really bring everything to an end. He's the one who can throw both body and soul into hell, as Jesus says. Yeah, and that's uh, one of those that's one of those passages that I think goes by real fast. We maybe don't think twice about it. You know, fear not he who can destroy the body, but he who can throw uh, body and soul into hell. He's he's literally saying God's the one you guys should be scared of. Yeah, of course, right. and he is the one right. who takes away fears, like his angels always say when they come to anybody in the Bible, right? Fear right. not. It's the first thing they have to say because everyone's terrified. Uh, so I don't know. We kind of get – we see the effects. We see our emotions. We see our – the way that we're totally on the floor or the way that we're totally up high. And that's a good sign, I think, to – if we're going to let the scriptures correct us, if we're going to come to them and say, well, they've got to free us from ourselves – from being led along and deluded by these highs and lows. And we're going to have to look and say, what is it that's really causing me to be this? Is it that I'm so happy so-and-so won? Is it that I'm so glad or I'm so afraid that my bank account's going to be emptied by this or that? And there's where I think hopefully we can recognize, again, by the word of God, that uh, uh, our faith is placed somewhere else. The question comes, uh, why is it that we are supposed to fear, love, and trust in God above all things? Uh, it's not just, I mean, it certainly is that God is a jealous God um, and that he will punish the wrongdoers, uh, but it's also for our salvation. That's why God wants us to fear him above all things. I really like that point that you made earlier, um, that God wants us to fear, love, and trust in him because those other things are not going to last. Those other things are transitory. Uh, God is eternal. I think one of the hardest concepts, because it's too simple, uh, in all of Christianity <laughs> is that is that salvation is faith. That, that to be saved is to fear and love and trust in God again. And that that's what's missing. That The fall is not the thorns and the thistles. Those, those are the wages of the fall. Death is what the payment for the fall is. The fall is not fearing and trusting God. And salvation is being brought back to that state, being brought back into faith. It, I don't know if you know Psalm 56. Uh, Psalm 56 has this refrain that keeps coming back. In God, I will praise and trust in his word. In God, I will put my trust. And what can I, I will not be afraid 
what man or what flesh can do unto me. And it's that's set in the middle of the psalm that's lamenting and complaining about what flesh, what other men are doing, calling out to God, hey, you've got my tears in your bottle. Aren't you paying attention, God? And then it comes back with this. And, and it is the correction of the word of God. And I, I can't pray this psalm with a with an undeceitful heart. Ugh. Do I fear men? Yeah, I fear men, just as every other citizen does. I also fear men because I'm a pastor and I'm afraid of what people are, how people are going to react to what I say and and then they're going to attack me maybe. Uh, and yet, I know what's right, but I have to be corrected by this, right? In God, I will trust. In his word, I'll put my hope. And I will not fear what men do unto me. Shame on me. I mean, I should repent. And I do repent and I must repent because these men are not worth fearing. What's comforting to me is that the the promise of Jesus is you shall not fear. You know, it is, even as I am fearing man, he is promising me that I shall overcome that in him. And then there's this blessed mystery on the flip side that the fear of God, which is simply to trust in his words when they speak, that is a, a greater or I should say a, a less fear than the fear of man. It makes fear go away. It's, it's, it's a love that drives out fear, right? And there, there's this mystery in that, this paradox that I think I'm going to be bound, but I'm set free. I think I'm going to be afraid, but I'm given confidence. And it, all of this ultimately comes down to not me trying to not be afraid, but me trusting in what God has promised, fear not in, which is the cross of Jesus. Baptism, right? Supper. Yeah, that's it's wonderful that it's not something that I do as well. It's not as if we uh, God says, okay, here, you need to do this and not do this. Uh, now you work it out yourself. <laughs> Instead, it's you need you're doing this, you need to not do this, and I'm gonna make it true for you. Here's the promise that this is how it is for you. If you abide in my word, if you remain, it's a it yeah. I can't help but see that word as a is a a passive and a resting word, right? Uh, which is great comfort to the people who are just anxious, right? Uh, there's the other passage I think we've been flirting with that Jesus said, right? Uh, do not be anxious. Don't worry, right? And that sounds like the hardest thing. of the. I mean, just try that once. Right, but, um, right. It's the worst law in the world. <laughs> and I can't do it. Much like, and, and, the, and Luther certainly says this, uh, I don't know what Calvin says, but uh, right the flip side of the first commandment is simply, you know, when the, the God who says you shall have no other gods is also the God in whom uh, we need no other gods if you have him. Psalm 73, if I have thee only, then I don't need anyone else in heaven and earth. My my flesh and my heart, they will fail. But God is the strength of my life and my portion. I mean, he's my lot. He's, he's all I need. And if I have him, yeah, what else? I've wrestled with that phrase, you know, when Jesus says, do not fear, is the, is the whole um, lilies, lilies of the field and the sparrows of the air and God's taking care of them, you know, don't worry. And uh, as you say, it, it can be the worst kind of law. And the best that I've been able to come up with in my own head and, and whenever I, I would have a chance to preach it, um, the, the direction is that there is nothing to fear. That's, that's what he's saying to you. You, you may be this little, the ye of little faith sitting there afraid because he's sleeping in the boat or so you think. But there is at the end of the day, because of him, nothing to fear. It's gone. It's dealt with. And so therefore, all my fear is just is waste. And it's waste then to be repented of and confessed where it's just absolved. It's just sent away. The filthy rags are made clean by the blood of Christ. It's, it's a lot like what uh, Pastor Denzer was talking about earlier. Uh, where as a pastor, I mean, just speaking from personal experience, as a pastor, um, I 
I mean, a lot of people think, hey, uh, that uh, alb or chasuble that you wear on Sunday is like a suit of armor. You, uh, you're not afraid of anything. You can say whatever you want and, and not worry about the repercussions. But the fact of the matter is, um, I'm terrified right. <laughs> almost every single time I get into the pulpit or, or stand up in front of a Bible class because I know this is going to offend a lot of people. Um, and when you offend people who are, um, well, it goes against the adage, uh, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Right, right. <laughs> your, your job is to stand up in front of uh, these people and to pull them away from themselves, to offend them. Uh, and to instead give them Christ, uh, who is their salvation. But that can be very terrifying at times. What if I do uh, upset that that uh, one member who is actually keeping the uh, budget of this congregation afloat, right? right. <laughs> Am I going to be able to, to feed my family? Or what happens if uh, sometime the uh, the government comes in and tells me you can't preach like this and I get thrown into prison or slapped with a huge fine. How am I going to take care of my family? But we know uh, from those other passages of scripture that God is our only portion, that even if uh, the Lord's will were to take me away, I know that Katie and my children will be taken care of because that is the, the promise that God has given. And even if, uh, that being taken care of is that they die alongside me. We know that our salvation is not here in this earth. Our salvation is in Christ who led before us into death and into life eternal. And he will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, catching us all in the air, right? So that uh, when I close my eyes in death, I do not say goodbye my, to my loved ones. I only say farewell until the next time. And that's, that is a comfort in the midst of this. Um, what you were getting at there about the fear of offending uh, the, the listener, this is what I, I maybe I'm, I'm harping on this too much, but I just think we can't say it enough that, that the spirituality of Christianity, if it's going to have any kind of stalwartness in the midst of the current American crisis of, of faith, has to come back to wanting to be offended by itself, right? Relishing in the offense of the cross, that I go to church uh, expecting and hoping my pastor actually gets me somehow and doesn't just leave me feeling like I'm doing the good Christian thing, but but wakes up my conscience enough to make me hunger for forgiveness again. Uh, how do you get there? You know, whether we are there, that's a different thing, but I, I just don't think we can talk about it enough that, that in an age in which everything's offensive, so be quiet, Christians need to be wanting to be offended by the scriptures so that we might be repented. Not getting away from the from the scripture part, but uh, this is this is how it ought to be. This is um, we start trying to have a nice, academic, easy, clean discussion about how we do theology, and it turns out we're we're fighting for our salvation. And if we're right about it, we're getting driven back into these scriptures. I, I don't know if our listeners have ever had this experience, but but I certainly have writing sermons at least where I just want to know the answer because I just want to get it done right it's Saturday it's the 11th hour and I got to do something tomorrow and then I'm up half the night or all day and I've got every book I own out and I've got the scriptures and all the different languages out and I'm panicked because if I don't find the answer to this question by the end of this night I'm going to hell probably <laughs> um, <laughs> which is it takes that. Yeah. If, if it was, I mean, here I will, and, and shame on me. I was just trying to find some kind of answer to satisfy 
I don't know, I suppose my ears and their opinions. And instead, you know, we got to figure out what God says here. Um, and, and I think that's good. Now, I suppose we could go off the rails easily doing that too. But um, to be driven back into the scriptures is a delight. And unfortunately, well, or fortunately, it usually comes when, when we have to be corrected by this too. It, it, it's a war for self and against self. It's a delight and it's a pain. It, it, it's a, a suffering and yet it's it's a relief. And these things are constantly happening. And you, we haven't really talked about this at all on the podcast so far, but the, the idea of uh, the saint and the sinner, that within me I have these two natures g- going back and forth. And one of them, just it just needs to be murdered. And scripture is what does that. And the other one is made alive by words about Jesus and just needs to be fed. And scripture does that. And so I have this convex experience, this this backward against itself experience that is almost indescribable. I mean, I'm using the same word over and again trying to describe it, which means it's just beyond beyond description. But the slogan, I'm going to go ahead and jump back with another peeper quote here. He says, our slogan must remain for this reason, right? Not me, 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 not my experiences, not my thoughts, not let's, let's figure it out together. It must remain into scripture, into scripture as the sole source and standard of theology or of, as I'm going to translate it here, the knowledge of God, into scripture, into scripture. Yeah, I, it's absolutely wonderful. And I like how Pieper continues with that. Uh, Luther thanked God for the wonderful grace that, that he could discard all of that other stuff that you mentioned uh, and come uh, that came to him outside of scripture and that by the grace of God, he could go into scripture. So I, I like what Peeper does here that uh, this drive um, back into scripture isn't something that's coming from within me. This is the work of the Holy Spirit arising uh, that new man inside of me and calling me back into scripture where God speaks to me and tells me about my salvation, rips me away from myself, and tells me instead about Christ. But there's another danger here, which is that we would hear this into Scripture, into Scripture, as meaning um, go off in a corner by yourself and read your Bible all alone. Go off in a corner by yourself and read your Bible all alone. As, as if that's the kind of the real place of Christian comfort. And I don't think that's what he's getting at. I don't think that's what the scriptures get at. I think the into scripture is connected to the the dance of liturgical salvation, if I can call it that. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the you know the place where we are assembled around what scripture says, the word that absolves us, uh, that baptizes us, that feeds us. Um, so I, I think it's important that we emphasize that. Not that reading scripture by yourself is bad, but that alone, you remain sort of in that dangerous spot where my opinions might just silence scripture and I don't even know what's happening. Right. And if we actually uh, read all of scripture, we'll come across those passages that actually do call us uh, and tell us that it's not just me and Jesus, that wonderful me and Jesus spirituality that's everywhere, right? Um, Instead, uh, the Holy Spirit tells us not to neglect the gathering together as is the habit of some. Pastor Fisk's, uh, I guess, wonderful vision of the church is the place where we all go to be offended by God's word <laughs> or, attacked, or attacked by God's word, right? I mean, there's why it can't just be me and my Bible because a book rarely attacks me. Uh, right. Maybe pastors. But um, uh, we, we need somebody else to be saying this word to us. I, I love, even on the previous page, how, how – he didn't just say, I don't think he ever said the Bible, quote. Right, he doesn't. He kept calling it the prophetic and the apostolic word, the word of Christ through his prophets and apostles, right? 
even God has always sent people to be speaking this word out loud, which is a very different experience than just, like you said, I'm reading silently off in a corner from a, some dusty old tome. Is it's, the, uh, go ahead. No, you go ahead, finish. No, I think that's it. I, and uh, different than, um, I don't know, there's a, I like what you said about it. It's a comfort, but the, but there's there's a different sense to it if it's just, you know, I'm going to go off in my corner and read my Bible. Everything's going to be happy. It's just going to be familiar territory. I mean, thank God if it is familiar territory. Or you find, you go off by yourself in a corner and you find these terrifying passages and you get no comfort. And you come away thinking God hates you now because you just finished Revelation 18 because you threw a dart at it. (laughs) And you think that's God's word for you today, right? And so you're left with, with no hope at all. Where it strikes the American Protestant ear as weird, to think that Jesus didn't send a book ever. The, the Lord Almighty never sent a book. There are times when the words of the man he sent to preach written down show up and do rather miraculous things. I, I think of them finding the book of the covenant in the temple and be like, holy moly, what's this? We should take these idols down, right? You know, <laughs> that's the closest I can come to him sending a book. It's certainly in the New Testament era, when the apostles are going to the edges of the world, they're taking the, the Hebrew prophets with them and preaching from them. But even so, that is the old wine they're putting into the new wineskins of the New Testament church. He never sends a book. He sends preachers. In our day and age, we don't have any inspired and inerrant sent ones, but we certainly as Christians, one and all, are sent to speak, to confess, to same say what was said. And it's in that living word, not that we change it, not that, it, not that it's, it's uh, adjusting itself. But in that re-speaking that faith is most created and sustained, whether it's the consolation of the brethren or it's the, the pastor sermonating from the pulpit, it's in that the mouth house, I think Luther calls it, right? That the church is the mouth house. It's the place of noise, which is God speaking. You mentioned a C word, confessing, which uh, I don't know if you've talked about that with the listeners before, confessing being saying the same thing in Greek. It's uh, it's quite a nice word. And I think that's uh, Peeper's point here, right? Our, our theologizing ought to be confessing, saying the same thing that scriptures have said before, uh, always going back to them. But I like what you said, that um, that confessing also has to be a together saying, same saying with each other also, that it, it leads us, not just me in a book, but it, uh, it it's, it's me and all these Christians and God's word, uh, where it's sounding forth in all of us too. Yes, uh, the talking about confession is one of my favorite things. It might be one of my hobby horses, so maybe I shouldn't talk about it too much more. Um, but still, it, this this whole idea of confessing is how we root ourselves or how we are rooted, uh, not only uh, in Scripture, but like you and Pastor Denzer said, um, that we are rooted, we confess, we same say Every alongside everybody who came before us in the church, so that when uh, it's it's kind of difficult here in Lisbon, uh, Redeemer is a pretty small congregation, and Trinity up on the hill is the the big congregation in the area, and sometimes um, our different stances from Scripture uh, put us at odds with that, and sometimes we're tempted away from saying the same thing that Scripture does and saying the same thing that. Are, are the rest of the synod does. Um, but when we do say that, 
we're not only connecting ourselves with the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod as proper, uh, that everybody is alive today, but we're also connecting ourselves with everybody who came before us. We have 2,000 years worth of people who said the same thing that we do. Uh, we can feel like a little island huddled here, all 57 of us gathered together on Sunday morning, but it's not just that. We're connected with the whole Church of Christ. It's it was, very comforting. It was Chesterton, who, I think, who said that uh, tradition is democracy where the dead get to vote. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And as a good Roman Catholic, of course, he'd point to tradition, right? But but for us, confession is a recognition that church is more than me. It, it is bigger than I. And thank God for that fact, because I, as we've been seeing, am the problem. And that what Scripture alone as a fundamental principle protects me from is thinking that uh, I am not the problem, uh, but that God somehow is going to speak through me. Instead, in order to save me from myself, Scripture allows those who would speak the Word of God to me to say, look, this is what has always been, and then thank God it's Jesus at the heart of the whole thing and his cross. Um, we just got about two minutes left here, and we're going to end up skipping over a little bit of people that I don't want to entirely ignore, but he goes into a bit of a, a discussion about how it tends to be that once you reject scripture, eventually what happens is you also reject the vicarious satisfaction of Jesus. And so just uh, in a minute here, maybe Pastor Danzer, can you talk about what is the vicarious satisfaction of Jesus and why is that important? Yeah, it's a, he says it's out of favor and this was what, 100, 200 years yeah, ago? Yeah, 100 years ago. He's right. Still the same. Uh, it, uh, vicarious satisfaction. Uh, this is the fact that Jesus uh, has done everything he's done in our place. Um, he's lived a life that is free of sin, uh, in perfect conformity, uh, willingly with God's commandments, just as we have not. Uh, and he's done it in our place to our credit, uh, which is given to us in his word, and faith receives that. Uh, also, He's been punished. He's been put to death. God's wrath in all of its fullness has been poured out on him on the cross in our place instead of on us who, who absolutely deserved it. Uh, and, and so uh, vicariously, he's done this not for himself, but he's done it for us. And he has satisfied the wrath of God against sin. Uh, it's just it's, it's simply the other side of the coin of our sins are forgiven and we are right with God. I don't um, I don't think it's accidental, though, that when someone begins questioning the validity of Scripture, it is soon that satisfaction that is also questioned. Uh, it, it seems that the entire attack of the devil is not really against the Bible just to have the Bible be wrong just because. There's something in the Bible he wants us to forget. And it's that replacement effect that Jesus has on the cross, that taking of God's wrath and giving us his righteousness, uh, which we will definitely be talking about more here on Cross Defense. Uh, I look forward to having both of you gentlemen back on in the future. You've been great so far. Pastor uh, Aaron Hamilton of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lisbon, North Dakota. Pastor Sean Denzer of Trinity Lutheran Church in Great Bend, North Dakota and Peace Lutheran Church in Barney, North Dakota. Uh, friends of mine, glad to have you around. Look forward to talking to you again. You are listening to Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. This this is Cross Defense. I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk telling you until next time, rock on.